I want to welcome you to our first session of our 10-week series we're doing on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And um, I'm excited to be teaching this series because I, in my experience, have seen how studying of the, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit can really illuminate the glories of the redemption and eternal inheritance that we have in Christ. And uh, I'm confident and prayerful that the Lord will use the truths that we look at over these 10 weeks to shepherd our souls individually and as a church body corporately into the fuller enjoyment of his green pastures and flowing streams that he has for us. Um, So I want to start by praying and then I'm going to, right off the bat, I'm going to be seeking several volunteers to read. If you look um, inside your handout, you'll see a long list of kind of a bullet point list of scripture texts. We're going to look at kind of in rapid fire fashion. So I'm going to, I'm going to seek readers for a bunch of those, but let's open with prayer. Our Father God in heaven, we praise you for your wisdom and your power and grace that's at work in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the church to gather around your crucified and risen Son, a people redeemed from sin and growing into the likeness of Jesus as a new creation, indwelled by your Spirit and given a foretaste of the age to come, even as we wait for the fullness of your promises in Christ. We thank you for the privilege of being your people and gathering as your people and hearing the things you have for us in your word. And we pray that you would grant us by the power of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts and our minds uh, to grasp the things that you've revealed so that we could better understand you and commune with you as our God, that we would better grasp the gift that you've given us in salvation and that we would be better equipped to live for you and walk by the lead of your spirit. We pray uh, to give me faithfulness and clarity, give us all alertness and um, softness of heart to learn what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so can I have a volunteer for, in a moment, to read 1 Corinthians 2.12? All right, and I will not remember who, I'm not writing these down, so this is on you to write. Josh, thanks. John 7, 38 to 39. Tom, um, and... I have a cold, a little foggy right now. If I forget your name, and I should know it, I'm so sorry. I just want to apologize beforehand that if I'm like, ah, you know, I might might not be as quick with names today. Um, Isaiah 32, 15. Matt. Uh, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Gary. Uh, And then Christy, would you be able to do Romans 14, 17? Uh, Good. Um, Ephesians 1, 17. All right, Maggie, thank you. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Uh, Sherry, and then Laura, I saw your hand. Would you do um, Galatians 5.22 to 23, please? And then we got 1 Corinthians 12.7. Chinway, thank you. Um, Ephesians 6.17. Ephesians 6.17. Thanks, Don. Uh, Romans 8.26. Was that uh, Christina? Um, Ephesians 4.3. Zach, thank you. And uh, Romans 15.13. Sounds good. It's Paul, right? All right, cool. And we'll be ready. Just have those kind of with thumb there as we go. Um, But uh, here's how this class is going to go. This is an introduction to the series. We're going to start and kind of get the wheels turning in our heads with a few reflection questions where, as we sometimes do, I'll actually have you write down answers Uh, as you kind of think through where you're at on certain kind of diagnostic questions with regard to understanding the Holy Spirit and relating to him. Uh, And then we're going to look at some reasons to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And then we'll identify a few misunderstandings or kind of problems that might trip us up, things we need to be aware of as we consider this topic and the person of the Spirit. And finally, um, we'll kind of set our course goals and an overview of the rest of the class is kind of where are we going from here. So first, I want to start with some personal reflections. Um, I want you to start off, if you can, write answers to these, especially it would be nice if you can write them in a place where you will have access to them later, because I may, uh, like we've done in the past, I may refer back to the answers that you gave. Um, but if you can write down answers, the, I have a few questions for you. First is, do you know the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? And even backing up a little bit, 
Is that even possible? Is it possible to know? No, I didn't say, do you know about the Holy Spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? Is it possible to know the Holy Spirit? And what would it look like? So just brief, you know, could not do like a whole paragraph, but do you know the Holy Spirit and what would it look like to know the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? The second question is, um, David prays in Psalm 5111, remove not your Holy Spirit from me. This is a prayer of repentance over grievous sin. And thankfully, what we'll learn in this course is that the Holy Spirit will never abandon Christ's new covenant people. But just hypothetically, how would it affect your life if the Holy Spirit left? How would it affect our church? So think individually and corporately. How would it affect your life and how would it affect our whole church if the Holy Spirit left? If God did remove his Holy Spirit from us. And the third question I want to ask is to imagine a scenario. Um, You are talking with a fellow church member who says this. What our church needs is more of the Holy Spirit. We need a greater awareness of his presence, his power, and his gifts. We need to surrender ourselves more fully to his control. We need to learn him more thoroughly, trust him more fully, adore him more dearly, and long for his work more earnestly. What would you be thinking and feeling about what that person is saying? Like, would you totally agree? Would you be like, amen, amen? Would you be totally in disagreement? Would you be nervous? Would you be going, I have some questions about what you mean by that? So just kind of what, what's your response to a fellow member? There's no context here, right? You don't, I'm not telling you who this is or whatever. But just imagine someone saying that to you. I'll say it again. What our church needs is more of the Holy Spirit. We need a greater awareness of his presence, his power, and his gifts. We need to surrender ourselves more fully to his control. We need to learn him more thoroughly, trust him more fully, adore him more dearly, and long for his work more earnestly. How does that hit you? So I'll give you a few minutes to answer all three of those questions. That will not be a calling for you to give your answers. (laughs) You can be honest with yourself. Give it another 30 seconds or so on these questions. And if you're just coming in, we're doing some uh, reflection questions here. That's why it's all quiet. And by the way, did everyone get a handout? There are handouts on the way in. Just want to let you know in case you didn't grab one. Yeah, I think everyone knows about those. Okay. Well, the reason I ask these questions is, as I said, to kind of get us thinking already about where, where we're at with this um, area of study of the Holy Spirit. And uh, some of what we talk about in the rest of the lesson will sort of refer back a little bit to the things that uh, these questions uh, touched on. But I want to start by um, covering five good reasons to study this doctrine. Uh, five, and this isn't by any means the only reasons that we could come up with, but these are five uh, maybe five uh, especially good reasons to study the, the Holy Spirit. The first is that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. This is like the most basic and, and uh, kind of the first, first level thing. It's like, well, he's in the Bible. Uh, when it comes to theology, God's self-revelation, which we have in Scripture, sets the agenda of what we study. Just simply for God to talk about something is reason enough for us to um, conclude that it's worth knowing about. Um, he, he's chosen to reveal about the Holy Spirit, what he's chosen to reveal is our responsibility and blessing to know. 
Um, and uh, we have some authors making this point. It's, it's rare to find extended discussions of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. And that's true. There, I don't know if there's any whole chapters devoted entirely to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. But when you piece together everything you find, there is a lot about him. Um, he's mentioned, uh, these authors say, 94 times in the Old Testament and over 250 times in the New Testament. And, and even uh, beyond just the simple counting, what we'll see is there's some really key ways he's mentioned, right? I mean, it's just a very initial thing to look at numbers. But he uh, occupies an important role. But given that the Bible does speak so much about the Holy Spirit, even there, we have a good reason to study him. But, of course, there are deeper reasons. And the, the, the second reason goes another level down, which is the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Uh, to study the Holy Spirit is to study God. And to study God is to study the Holy Spirit among the other divine persons, the Father and the Son. And uh, just right off the bat there, what could be more important than to study God, the one who created all things, as we hear about in the praise of Revelation 4.11, you created all things and because of your will, they existed and were created. Everything exists and was created by God, including the Holy Spirit. And then we hear in Isaiah 6.3, the whole earth is full of your glory. Again, that's to God, the glory of God, of which the Father, Son, and Spirit share equally. So the Holy Spirit's God, that should make us care also. Um, let's zoom in even further. What does he do as God? And this is where, and, and, and all these things, by the way, we're talking about is a preview of what's to come. We're going to talk more about him as a divine person. Uh, but the next important thing is that he is the most immediate way that we enjoy God's blessings and salvation. The Holy Spirit is the most immediate way we enjoy God's saving blessings. And uh, this is where we're going to go. We're not studying any of this in depth right now. Hopefully we can cover all or most of this later on in more depth in the series. But I just want to give, give us together a rapid-fire survey over ways that the Holy Spirit is the way that we experience God's saving blessings. So first of all, we have um, to have the Holy Spirit is to have the enjoyment of God's love. So who had Romans 5.5? 5, 5? Was that... You, Josh, or who had Romans 5.5? 5? I should stop guessing. What did you have, Josh? I skipped that one. Romans 5.5, 5, okay. Um, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been, who has been given to us. God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So by giving us the Spirit, he makes us experience his love. Yes, yeah, sir, I didn't, I didn't pass. I, I got that one myself. Uh, Josh... Sorry to put you on the spot. Can you get us uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12? Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the depths graciously given to us by God. So we have the spirit of God to understand, to know the things given to us by God. The knowledge of God and of his salvation is to enjoy and experience this is to experience the Holy Spirit. Um, what about uh, John 7, 38 and 39? Tom, thanks. This is Jesus talking um, in Jerusalem. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, and those who believe in him were to receive, whereas yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not given to So in the context of John, what Jesus is essentially saying is the experience, the enjoyment of eternal life, which is John's big thing of this is the, this is what, believing in Jesus, this is where you end up as you get eternal life. You have the spirit is like streams of water flowing out of your soul. That's what it's like to have eternal life. Uh, so experiencing eternal life is a means of enjoy, is, is a product of enjoying and experiencing the spirit. Um, what about Isaiah 32, 15? Thank you. So this is one of many um, texts, especially in Isaiah, that uses this imagery of the Spirit being poured out of the Spirit given, and there's this imagery of a, a desert place that's um, brought alive with, with water. And uh, the Spirit is this image of new creation bounty. 
um, the prophets, again, Isaiah uses a lot of their prophets, this, the idea that the Spirit is God's refreshment to a, a world that's fallen into a curse of sin, and his renewal and his recreation comes by means of the Holy Spirit. So if we're enjoying the new creation through Christ, then we are enjoying the Holy Spirit. What about Ephesians 1, 13 to 14? And you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Thank you. Of our inheritance, which we've begun to experience, but we have yet to experience in full. So he is the assurance of our salvation, begun and yet to come. Uh, Romans fourteen seventeen. Yeah, I should have said righteousness here too. If you are experiencing in Christ righteousness and joy and peace, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Thank you. And this is in the midst of Paul praying, this is my prayer, that he would give you the spirit of revelation and then what he goes on to say is, so that you may know um, the power that's at work within you and the riches of the gospel and these things. So he's saying the spirit is the way that we see the glory of our salvation. If I could kind of paraphrase that prayer. I'm praying that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation to see how good our salvation is. He says a very similar thing over in Ephesians 3.16. If you are experiencing, if you're seeing how wonderful it is to be saved in Christ, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, 2 Corinthians 3.18 Behold the face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Yeah, so um, as we gaze by faith into the face of Christ where we see God's glory, the Spirit is transforming us into the image that we view. So transformation into Christ-likeness is a, mean, a way of enjoying and experiencing the Holy Spirit. If you are being made more like Christ, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, Galatians 5, 22 to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Thank you. Uh, Paul is talking about what does the Spirit produce in us? That's what that fruit metaphor is. And I said good works. We could also say virtues. These are qualities of life. In Really, it's similar to saying transformation into Christ-likeness. But if these things are starting to grow in your life, and it, as you trust Jesus and follow him, you are experiencing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work. Um, what about 1 Corinthians 12, 7? Thank you. In that context, what he means is, is spiritual gifts. He calls them manifestations of the Spirit. So the Spirit distributes gifts among the body so that each body part can serve each other and we can grow in Christ. So if you are ministering effectively among God's people, then you are experiencing the, the Holy Spirit. What about Ephesians 6.17? The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So as we battle, the context that we're battling Satan, we're battling his, uh, his minions, versus the, the invisible spiritual battle we face as Christ's people. And he says, the sword, your offensive weapon, is the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So to effectively use Scripture for all the good uses in our own lives and in one another's lives um, and in our fight of faith and our battle against temptation and all these things, if you are using scripture effectively, the spirit is at work. You are experiencing the Holy Spirit. What about Romans 8.26? So when, when we need help in our prayers. So there are some texts that talk about we pray in the spirit. The spirit is moving us to pray. This seems to be the spirit praying kind of in lieu of us because we don't even know how to pray. But basically, uh, if, you're, if you want to pray and uh, 
sometimes you do or don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's at work in you. He's at work for you to pray. Um, Ephesians 4.3. So he's saying, calling the church to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. The, the church unity, if we're experiencing church unity and the bond of peace among us as Christ's people, we are experiencing the Holy Spirit. What about Romans 15, 13? I will fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you, Christian, are abounding in hope with your eyes set on your future assured inheritance in Christ, you are experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, what if I told you that the Holy Spirit was God's primary means of giving us the enjoyment, the experience of all of these blessings? That we don't, we don't um, actually get these. We don't actually get to use them in our experience unless the Holy Spirit is at work. And while they all belong to us in Christ, so they, we could see these all as secured for us and purchased for us through Christ, through his work in the gospel, it's the Holy Spirit's work to bring them home into our hearts and to make them ours in actual experience. So if you want to experience any of the things on this list, then you want the Holy Spirit. And this helps us to better understand the, the value and say, wow, the Holy Spirit really is important uh, we should want to know him. We should want to know what he's doing. Um, and we talked about Psalm 51, 11, and 12, where, again, I won't go into much detail there, but where he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the, the way that David would experience the joy of his salvation and the presence of the Lord. Uh, to sum it all up, Jonathan Edwards uh, the 18th century theologian says this. This is an excellent summary of this point. The Holy Spirit in his indwelling, his influence and fruits, is the sum of all grace, holiness, comfort, and joy. Or in one word, all the spiritual good Christ purchased for men in this world. And is also the sum of all perfection, glory, eternal joy that he purchased for them in another world. So that's a long quote, but he's saying both our enjoyment of what Christ has purchased for us in this life and our enjoyment of what Christ has purchased for us in life to come. The Holy Spirit is the summing up of all those graces and perfections and glories. To experience salvation and all of its fruits is to experience the Holy Spirit. Any thoughts? I know I haven't opened it up to questions yet, but about this point or any of the others before. Of course, this is all kind of summary overview and we covered a lot of territory very high level, but any thoughts about that point or questions? Yeah, Zach. I, I just think it's interesting that there's so much that the Spirit does that's not part of what we like can disagree about. Like, there's certain things that we disagree about yeah. with other like denominations, yeah. strands of the faith, whatever you want to call it. But there's a lot of work that I think we can all come together on this. Yeah. I'm sure we'll talk about some of those things. But. Yeah, that's a very good observation, and we'll talk about this. One of the hang-ups we experience is we think Holy Spirit, we think controversy. There are certain hot controversies that we immediately think of, and what's sad is that can cause us to shy away from the whole, the, the whole matter of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not saying those matters don't matter. What I'm saying is there's a whole lot of very clear riches that we might be losing out on because we're afraid to engage we leave the field and go, mm-mm, scary. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's part of the burden of this course is to go, wow, there's a lot of beautiful, essential things for us to know as in, in the Christian life. Aside from the matters that we might have kind of more um, more controversy. And we're going to deal with some of that stuff. Yeah, but that's a very good point. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, Sherry. What's that one? Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I don't think I put it in my notes. But yeah, power to witness. I'm so sorry, yeah. Hmm, didn't make it into my phone notes. But yeah, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. So in Acts, the, the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost is the power to bear witness of Christ. And so if we want to evangelize, if we want to speak to the world of Christ, we want to experience the Holy Spirit. Yeah, thanks for, sorry about that discrepancy. So, um, 
the next reason, it's very, of course, there's partial overlap here, but to experience the Holy Spirit is to know Jesus Christ. Now, in that last point, if we start hammering how good it is to have the Holy Spirit, all of God's graces are summed up in the Holy Spirit, you might start to get nervous and go, well, how can you say such grandiose things about the Holy Spirit? What about Jesus? Isn't Jesus supposed to be the object of our faith? Isn't he the center of the biblical storyline? And he is. One of the most remarkable things about Jesus, who is God in human flesh, um, he is in, he's in the gospel. One of the most amazing things that we hear him say in the gospels is in John sixteen seven, speaking to his disciples in the upper room before the cross. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then he says in verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Why is Jesus' ascension after the cross and the resurrection, why is that a win for the disciples then and now? I'll just ask you, based on what we heard out of John 16 and maybe broader knowledge. Why is it a win for us that he goes to, the, to heaven and, get, and sends the helper, the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit indwells us. Jesus did not indwell his disciples. He was with them. He was alongside them. They heard his words in their ears. They saw his acts with their eyes. But he was not indwelling their souls. But there's a a, a greater nearness that the sending of the Spirit brings to all who are in Christ. Um, The Spirit discloses the truth of Christ to us and he mediates Christ's living presence in us. If you were to read through this whole discourse in John, you'll find that there's other places where Jesus says, I will come to live in you and the Father and I will come to make our home in you. And so what we see, this is part of the mystery of the Trinity, is that by means of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, really the fullness of God is indwelling us, a triune God. The Spirit isn't doing it alone, but by means of the Spirit's indwelling, the Father, Son, and Spirit are indwelling us as well. And so there's um, a much greater nearness to God that the Spirit brings in his coming. Um, we could say it like, we're going to tease this all out later, but the Holy Spirit is the glue, we could say, of our union with Christ. To be in union with Christ is to be glued to him by means of the Spirit that, we, that indwells us. Um, this is why the Puritan Richard Sibbs wrote, the Holy Ghost fetches all from Christ in his working and comfort. So we, ne- we never want to pit the Spirit against Jesus and say, well, um, we have to choose. Are we going to give all our attention to Jesus as the immediate object of faith and the central focus of the Bible storyline? And then we, we go, oh, let's learn about the Holy Spirit now. We go, er, and we take it off Jesus. No, what we need to understand is, and it's rich and mysterious how this all works, but these are overlapping things at the same time. To know Jesus is to be experiencing the Holy Spirit. To be in union with Jesus is to experience the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense, that, that what we're saying? Of course, none of us understands, comprehends fully any of that, and we'll get into more of it later, but it is to say these are not, it's not a zero-sum thing. We have to take something away from Jesus in order to give it to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Christina. I was struck by the imagery when you were pointing out that the, um, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Uh-huh. And the word of God is Jesus. Yes. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah, there's some rich yeah, mystery there. The word of God, um, personal word of God is the son and, the, and then clothed in, in, by means of scripture. And that is the spirit's weapon, right? Is the inscripturated word of God. It's, yeah, it's beautiful the way, yeah, the, the father, son, and spirit are working together and it's totally inseparable in all their works. We're going to learn more about that next week. Fifth reason is because confusion abounds regarding the person and uh, and work of the Holy Spirit. We need biblical clarity in our minds and in our church because we are swimming uh, in a world where there's many misunderstandings and errors about the Holy Spirit. Uh, Some Christian groups make distorted claims and hold distorted beliefs about the Holy Spirit. And some of these might include making the Spirit the central focal point of Christianity in a way that obscures Christ. Um, what I just said we don't want to do <laughs> can just become a we're all about the Holy Spirit. Um, some, and some uh, others have seen these tendencies and have been concerned and reacted by essentially ignoring the Holy Spirit. Say, oh, some, some of the, and we'll talk a little bit more about these problems in a moment, but we just need to say there are these problems out there. We have some kind of Holy Spirit um, 
overemphasis or imbalanced emphasis or some distorted specific things believed about the Spirit and others go, ooh, let's leave the Holy Spirit alone. We may be uncomfortable with studying the Holy Spirit. We may be uncomfortable with talking about him, seeking his presence. I'm going to tipping your hand to that question, that reflection question of what I think about the person, what the person said. We might be afraid of certain talk that we shouldn't be afraid of because we might associate it with certain movements and things that people uh, aren't saying, but we think they might mean that we need to be able to discern very carefully. Martin Lloyd-Jones said in the last century, he said, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is neglected because people are so afraid of the spurious, the false, and the exaggerated that they avoid it altogether. I think that's a pretty apt description of maybe a temptation that in our circles, church, a church like us, we given what we believe, we might be more prone to that kind of problem of overreacting and going, I don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so uh, confusion and error abounds. We need clarity. So we can enjoy the riches of what God has for us. Any question? And we're going to talk a little bit more about those misunderstandings in a moment. But any questions or thoughts about these reasons to study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I can't see how you can separate the Holy Spirit from Jesus or God the Father if it's a triune God. You can't just ignore it. Right. Right. We can't. It's to our detriment, and it's really to our to the loss of our understanding of God. Right. You can't just just. Uh, uh, cordon off the spirit and say, well, we'll just focus on the Father. So we're going to distort everything in our understanding of salvation. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I appreciate that. Sure name. Are talking about leading the Holy Spirit and the work the Holy Spirit does in convicting us of sin? Yeah. We plan to. Yeah. That's all very important. Yeah. So, um, and those are all very much in line with some of the things. Yeah. The, the Spirit's role in. It's interesting that when we sin, we're said to grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, in a way, I don't think that's ever said about the Son or the Father. Again, not to separate them out, but there's something unique about the Spirit's role, the Spirit's um, place in, in uh, our redemption, as, as well as convicting of sin, yeah. So, I hope we cover that. We should. <laughs> I, mean, I haven't charted out all the whole course, but I hope we cover that stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of these misunderstandings. We've kind of alluded to some of this already, but to kind of drill drill down uh, another layer. So the first misunderstanding that we want to be aware of is it's all about the Holy Spirit. It's all about the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the place where we're going to get into the weeds about miraculous spiritual gifts, such as tongues and prophecy. And we will deal with that. It'll come up later in the lesson on spiritual gifts. It's going to occupy a fairly small slice of this course, because as Zach said, there's actually a ton that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit that isn't that. And uh, we want to, we want to deal with it. We need to deal with it, but we don't want to let that Uh, drown out the riches and complexity of all that we need to know about the Holy Spirit. But our position in this course will be consistent with our church's statement of faith that while God may choose to perform miracles anytime and anywhere, uh, these miraculous spiritual gifts as spiritual gifts have indeed ceased in the early generations of the church. And we will deal with that and tease that out later. I just want to be upfront with you about our position as a church. But whether or not you agree with that, and it's okay if you don't agree with that, you're still welcome here. Um, what the, I hope there's no disputing that there are great distortions and theological mischief that have been uh, perpetrated in the name of the Holy Spirit in recent years. Uh, largely stemming from Pentecostal and charismatic traditions, and I don't mean to equally um, impugn everyone, and those are broad categories, and, and um, while I think we would, have, we would have some areas of disagreement with I'll, I'll, um, some areas of broad disagreement with them. Not everyone is equally guilty of these things. But we have seen in these theological streams some really troubling distortions. Um, and uh, you don't have to look far to see Christian groups centering their focus on the Holy Spirit, seeking ever more dramatic experiences and subjective guidance from the Spirit that's untethered from biblical commands and wisdom. Uh, we see things like chaotic healing revivals from folks like Benny Hinn. Uh, we see emotion-driven praise experiences that, again, are very untethered from biblical truth. Groups like uh, Hillsong and Bethel. And some of us may know individually people we love and know in our lives are we ourselves who have, uh, in our past, we've made bizarre, erratic, and foolish decisions based on some impression that we thought was the voice of the Holy Spirit. So there can be some some Holy Spirit centrism and some distortions about what he's even doing and what he means to do uh, maybe just uh, and there's 
actually a lot of different uh, errors we could kind of tease out from that. But basically this idea of too much emphasis on the Holy Spirit and a, in a way that divorces him from the work of the Trinity and the, the gospel, the Bible storyline, the importance of scripture, things like that. So that's one kind of misunderstanding. Any questions or, or thoughts about that today? Did I offend anybody? Sorry. <laughs> if I say, if I, I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but I want to be fair but accurate about some things that are out there. Well, and we talked about, there's the, there's the action-reaction. The, the second issue is leave it to the charismatics. Um, and so some of us have pendulum swung. Have we seen that world? And we've gone, ouch, I don't want to have no, nothing to do with that. Maybe that's our past, or we've just seen that and go, ooh. Um, and uh, yeah, one author says, in our churches, there is a serious polarization with respect to the Holy Spirit. Polarization means you have people on these two extreme sides. Reacting against Pentecostal and charismatic movements, some Christians are suspicious of the topic. And that's an error, too, to say, whoa, we're going to leave that to the charismatics. We'll leave the Holy Spirit. We'll leave the field to them. And uh, to a little bit of recent history, the Pentecostal movement stems out of the Azusa Street Revival that began in 1906. There was no Pentecostal movement before that, and charismatic movement stemmed even decades after that. And there are distinct movements that we won't get into right now, but... That was the birth of kind of the modern um, emphasis on these kind of signs and wonders, these miraculous sign gifts. And I I would say, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that ever since then, uh, most evangelical thinking about the Holy Spirit today lies in the shadow, the very towering shadow of that issue of Pentecostal and charismatic theology. Ever since 1906, we're all either embracing or reacting to Pentecostal and charismatic theology and I'm not advocating that we ignore, again, I said we need to deal with these issues, but um, what I'm concerned about is that we let that kind of controversy landscape cause us to shy away from everything else that the Bible is saying about the Holy Spirit. And Zach pointed out, most of what the Bible is saying about the Holy Spirit is not miraculous spiritual gifts or spiritual gifts at all. So remember at the beginning of today's class, I laid out a scenario where your Christian friend is saying, we need more of the Holy Spirit's influence in our church. We need to adore him and long for his work more fully. Um, I wonder if, I would guess that most of us, when we hear that, we interpret that person to be alluding to charismatic gifts. Is that a fair thing to say? When you hear someone talking that way, maybe you assume they were, or maybe you um, would want to say, what do you mean by that? Uh, which isn't a bad response. But I would think because of the landscape we're in, we hear say more, we need more of the Holy Spirit. We need to welcome him and his influence more. Um, we probably hear that and start thinking charismatic sign gifts, tongues, prophecy, because of where we are in history. That's a, that's a product of where we are in church history that, that immediately jumps into our minds. And... Um, so yeah, those of us who haven't embraced charismatic theology may be gun-shy about the Holy Spirit. Um, so one of the burdens of this course is to take a careful look at what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. And while acknowledging these issues, trying to kind of rise above that pendulum swing and think more carefully over all the Bible is saying about the Holy Spirit. And we always read the Bible in community, relying on the influence of Christians who have gone before us. And so I, I, I'm convicted in particular, that in this area of the Holy Spirit, it is especially helpful to look to resources, Christian thinkers, before 1900, before this issue hit the scene. Because the way that they are willing to talk about the Holy Spirit can be very instructive to us. And uh, so looking back at the early church fathers, uh, the reformers, the Puritans, folks all the way down to Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century, um, sometimes putting a remarkable degree of, of focus on the Holy Spirit and saying things about him, kind of like what I just read to you, that kind of statement that we might get, like, Ugh, get nervous, but they weren't nervous to say that before 1900 because they, uh, they, again, they were not in the same landscape of controversy. Now, I'm not trying to idealize the past. There's never been an era where they had no blind spots and they saw everything right, but part of the, the value of church history is that they have different blind spots than us. And so by looking at theirs, it can help us be more self-critical about what we might, about our tendencies and errors that might appeal to us. So this course will be heavily indebted to their influence, um, of course, complementing the supreme authority of the scriptures. Of course, that's the authority of overall, but it is helpful as readers and interpreters of scripture and, and those who 
reason doctrinally to kind of look at how other Christians before us have, have looked at these things. So I, I, um, I, there's a volume out there because it's public domain. It's like free or super cheap um, on Kindle. Spurgeon sermons on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's like three or 400 pages of Spurgeon sermons on the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing. It's so rich. And uh, he's not a charismatic, but he is willing to, to be very emphatic about our need of the experience of the Spirit. Um, and just the, some of the things we're, we're saying about how to have the Spirit is to enjoy salvation. So any, any thoughts or questions about those? The, the, all about the Holy Spirit or leave it to the charismatics? Yeah, Paul. But when you go from the, talk about the people from the late 19th century, even J.C. Mm-hmm. Ryle and, and Spurgeon, why do you think the people went? And then you go to the 1906, why yeah. did they make that leap? Well, there were, yeah, what happened in 1906? Yeah, I, just a real thumbnail. I don't know a ton. I couldn't tell you much more than this, but I'll give you a thumbnail. There were other movements that were kind of predisposed to more, I would say, revivalistic movements that though they weren't, before that, they weren't having like signs and wonders. There was kind of baked into the ethos of those groups more of a hunger for let's have dramatic, extraordinary things that God does. And there's some value in that. There, I don't want to say there's no truth or value in that. But groups that have more emphasized, I could say, you could almost say some groups tend to emphasize ritual and others tend to emphasize revival. The ritual groups are going, let's keep with the steady means of grace and just watch things grow gradually. And then the revival groups are going, let's look for God to do something big. Um, that latter group, again, not that there's no value in that, but that has, in undiscerning ways, that has opened the door for some big problems. And, I, and, and that's historically, that's the stream. It was actually, it came out of the kind of the Wesleyan holiness strand. And that's kind of their, kind of their DNA and so you can see some kind of precursors sort of in those groups. Yeah. Because they tend to throw around the word miracle a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you read through scripture, miracles actually were very infrequent. It's more about providence than it was about yeah. Yeah. miracles. But yeah. they tend even today to throw around the miracle. Yeah. So miracle is, is like normalized. Yeah. That, that's a good distinction. That's, that's an issue there. Yeah. Good, good questions. Yeah. Um, the third the third uh, maybe pitfall or, or misunderstanding, let's just talk about the Bible. Why don't we just not talk about the Holy Spirit? Let's just talk about the Bible. <laughs> so on top, of the, on top of the charismatic issue, we have the stealthy uh, philosophical currents of our age. That again, this is, this, this is the thing about um, you, don't, you don't realize you're swimming in a certain stream. And certain things are natural to us that shouldn't be. And uh, our, our, our modern age... Um, disposes us to look for material explanations for everything, rational explanations for everything, and to neglect the invisible spiritual realm. Um, I think probably most of us find it more natural to think about sin in terms of our, th- our thoughts, our rational thoughts, and maybe um, influence from other people. But we probably are less likely to think about uh, sin being influenced by Satan and demons. Like how, how high on the list of your, like when you're thinking about your life and your temptations and the spiritual battle. I mean, Paul says, we are at war against principalities and dominions in Ephesians 6. That's a hard category for us to think in. Um, because, again, because of where we are in history. Uh, we are in, a, we are in a, a materialistic, rational age. Um, and so, as a result, and I, again, I'm not, be careful not to hear what I'm not saying. Well, I'm not pitting these against each other as though they're enemies, but we tend to be much more comfortable celebrating and valuing the written word of God, which we can engage with, with our reason, than to celebrate and uh, recognize our need for the person of the spirit of God who works invisibly in us. And I would quick to say these two are not in competition. So never pit the word against the spirit. That's one of the, the errors that we need to be aware of. The word is the sword of the spirit. They will always be working together. But um, it's been said, as critique, I think not without warrant, that we have adopted a modern trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. Meaning we are much more comfortable thinking about what the Word of God is doing than thinking about what the Spirit of God is doing. We're much more comfortable saying, I need more of the Word of God in my life, maybe, than saying, I need more of the Spirit of God in my life. Does that make sense? That kind of, just as you survey your own level of comfort, going, oh, yeah, um, we, and again, they're not enemies, they're friends, they're, they're inseparable. 
We might be quick to think that what people need for conversion and transformation is logical understanding of the truth. And they do. Amen. We need this. We need this for conversion. We need this for transformation. But simply that, logical understanding of the truth is a woefully incomplete account of what needs to happen for spiritual life to begin and for spiritual life to be nourished and to grow. So think about preaching. When you ever, I hope you pray for your preachers. As one of the preachers around here, I hope you pray for your preachers. What do you pray for? Uh, We need our preachers to be logical and clear and true to the meaning of scripture, the truth of the text. But we also need a lot more than that because we as listeners are more than just intellectual creatures. We're spiritual creatures. We need the spirit to make the word fruitful, that rational truth fruitful in our souls, to make it live in us. So there's just, again, there's a tendency maybe to be real quick to think in terms of the word of God kind of depersonalized from the spirit working in the word. Um, And then the last, I think this is the last, number four. No, no, it's not the last. Second to last. um, Misunderstand, too controversial. So we may have heard the the charismatics and and some of their claims and practices and go, yikes, and then look at the the uh, people who fight the charismatics and say, oh, yikes, you know, they've got their arguments. And uh, what, a, what, a, um, what a heated area of controversy. Uh, one author has written, over the last hundred years, the Holy Spirit has been the subject of intense and torrid debates, usually accompanied by accusations of heresy and counter-accusations of spiritual barrenness. These days, the Holy Spirit has been more a topic of theological conflict than a source for spiritual renewal. End quote. And I don't think that he's advocating that we don't uh, care about the doctrine of the spirit or that we don't stake out positions that would exclude other positions. Um, but I think what he's talking about is a general phenomenon that we can look at this area of doctrine with its heated uh, competitions and controversies and it's tempting to just stand back and go, ah, I'm not going to touch that. It's too, um, it's too uh, much controversy. And what's ironic... Um, I don't. I forgot who was it. Zach who read um, Ephesians four three about the unity of the spirit, being eager to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. The unity of Christ's people is the product of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who who unites us to Christ and to one another. He is the glue of not only our union with Christ, but of our Christian unity. And it's sad that the doctrine of the spirit in our day has become one of the hottest theological war zones. So um, again, we 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 miss a lot. When we just say, ah, don't want to touch that. It's too, it's too hot, too controversial. We need to have humility and listen to what other people are saying and, and, and uh, kind of the intellectual humility to consider different arguments and things like that. But um, we, it's to our detriment if we just retreat and ignore the Holy Spirit. The last um, misunderstanding, and this is, this is actually kind of a true problem, but maybe something that we just need to deal with. Um, is not necessarily, uh, it's not entirely erroneous, I'll put it that way. There's some truth in it. Is he hiding? Is he hiding? There is some validity in this issue of the elusiveness of the Holy Spirit. It's just baked into the nature of, of his work. That um, We heard in John 16, the Spirit would glorify Christ by making Christ's words known to the church, by taking Jesus' words and disclosing it to the church. So you see that it has to do with his work, right? He is, um, um, J.I. Packer, the theologian, um, famously said the Holy Spirit's ministry is he's like a spotlight illuminating Christ for us, which is a wonderful picture of how he's shining the focus of our attention on Christ, but that also is putting our attention off, directly off of him, right? Um, that's part of his work in the divine economy and the work of salvation is the Spirit is, uh, disclosing the glory of the triune God through the Son to us. So there's a tension that we have to deal with in this doctrine. On the one hand, Scripture says a good deal about the Holy Spirit, and um, He is a, a divine person, we said, so He's of utmost importance. He equally shares in the divine nature and works and honor and glory. So He matters. We should study and care about Him. But on the other hand, um, he is not personally the focal point of the scripture storyline. Jesus is. And uh, he's not primarily, he's not the immediate object of saving faith. Jesus is. The gospel call is not believe in the Holy Spirit. It's Christ has died for you. Christ has been raised. Believe in Christ and you'll be saved. 
Um, and uh, again, there are a few long discourses uh, of scripture that go on about him at length. So we're going we're gonna to tr- have to be t- walking this tightrope. This is tension in theology of he matters, we need to study him, he's important, but he's, not, he's never the main focus. Uh, there's something elusive and mysterious. Um, Jesus says in John 3 that the Holy Spirit's work in regenerating us, giving us a new heart, is like the wind. There's something kind of mysterious about when it comes and goes. You don't know where it's coming from or going. And um, we might tend to, Paul's point, we might tend to, to associate the Spirit, and there are some groups that especially would tend to associate the Spirit with the flashy and the extraordinary. Um, you kind of ask the question of when, when, when are you going to say the Holy Spirit showed up today? <laughs> what would cause you to say that? You know, what, what kind of event at church would cause you to go home and say, wow, the Holy Spirit showed up today? Um, some of us would, would tend to only think in terms of, well, if something really crazy happened, if something really extraordinary happened, then I would think the Holy Spirit showed up. Well, what we're going to see time and time again as we look in the scripture, I hope even the texts we surveyed give you a taste of this, that he's at work in the very quiet and the ordinary as well. And it's often easy to overlook his work in the ordinary. As I talked about, kind of the, the ritual stuff. And ritual may be a word we don't like. But essentially, the regular rhythms and practices that we're called to as a church. The Holy Spirit is breathing life into those things. In our hearing of the word, in our prayers, in our fellowship with one another. Um, so, he's, he's, he's working, but he's working quietly, often. In, in, in ways that we're, we're not always able to perceive. Yeah, Don. I think about it, the, the little nudges every now and then yeah. going through life, you know, you know that's wrong. Or that's yeah. Right. Just... One way we might experience him, one way we do experience him is, is that there are, there are these internal nudges and, of course, are wedded to Scripture, but things that you know are right and wrong in application in the moment. You'll have your desires start to be shaped. Like, I should pray. You feel a burden about something and you go, I should pray. I said to someone earlier, I've said before, if you, ever, if you ever feel like praying, that's the Holy Spirit working in you. The flesh does not want you, would not lead you to pray. Or, if, yeah, some, uh, something that you're feeling your conscience convicted about, I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you, maybe you strayed into gossip or something and you go, oof. You feel the Spirit going, oof, that was gossip. And um, so, yeah, there's that. There, there, we might notice that. Sometimes it's happening and we don't, we don't feel it. Just certain... Um, directionality of our of our desires and our practice, where we go. I want to, I want to read the Bible, or I want to reach out to that brother or sister and see how they're doing. Things like that. Yeah, Michelle, do you have your hand up? And then Christy. Yeah, I just think it's interesting in my own heart, and it kind of piggybacks what you're <clears throat> touching on. It's like who to give credit to, right? I mean, I know they're three and one, and mm-hmm, the father, mm-hmm. they're one. But oftentimes, if I'm praying, why am I more apt to say, Jesus, please do a work in their heart. Yeah, yeah. The Holy Spirit, yeah. will you prompt them to repent or, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah. And I know it's complicated yeah. and, and it's interchangeable and all of that, but it's it's interesting to think like, why am I more apt to say, God, do this work in mm-hmm. their heart or Jesus, please, you know, do this instead of Holy Spirit stir in them. You yeah, know? yeah. That's a really good point. It comes real down to, to practical as to how we pray. Are we praying individually to divine persons? Are we just praying for the Father to do something through the Spirit? Yeah, and there's a church father, we may talk about this later, but a church father named uh, Gregory Nazianzen, who I'm going to paraphrase, but he has a quote where he says, no sooner do I think of the one that I'm led to, to consider the three, and no sooner do I think of the three that I'm led back to the one, that there's a sense in which the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity is so beautiful that we can't focus on all of it at once. Like, we can't grasp it all. We can, and we can't grasp it all anyway. But even in our focus and our attention, we can't, like, wrap our minds around the whole thing. I got it. You know, we're constantly looking at it one way and going, that's true, but then there's another side. And then we look at it that way. And it's like, that's, that's mystery at work. We're such finite cre- creatures. So that discomfort, I think, is just a product of, or I would say the uneasiness of going, how do I, not that we should, I'm advocating being uneasy with prayer, but just that sense of, this is bigger than I can wrap my, my heart and mind around. That's a good thing. Like, don't feel like you're missing something if, if you go, yikes, this is, like, God's too big for me. I can't, you know. Um, that's a good sign as you're praying that you go, I'm talking to the incomprehensible one. Uh, but yet he's, he's revealed himself to me. And, um, yeah, we're going to talk. that Next week we're going to probably deal with that most directly, the idea of the, the Spirit and the Trinity, the Spirit in relation to the, 
Father and the Son and how it's appropriate to think of the persons as unified in all they do, but it's also appropriate to break out and think of diversity in terms of the, the way that they, the way that the train God works and the persons work. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good, good point. And then Christy, do you have something you were going to say? Um, when you were listing, listing the description of the Holy Spirit, the church unity mm-hmm. in Ephesians 4, 3, and then you're talking about the subtleness of the Holy Spirit. And I think like, um, it's a, um, I think about our church body and the peace and unity that we mm-hmm. hear. And so I just like, that's where I see the subtlety. Yeah, you just see, like one of the ways you see the Spirit is you see people living in a certain way in the body of Christ. The way it should be is that you start going, again, it's not this flashy thing. It's like something's going on with these people, right? Like that's, that's the way he works, and that's totally right. And that list should help us to see like, like a lot of stuff is very ordinary, quiet stuff, but it's nonetheless, it's, it's divine work in us. Um, and that's part of why it's so hard to detect the Holy Spirit. As one, one theologian, Michael Horton, says, it's easy to take his presence for granted or identify him with our own inner self. If you're a Christian who's being led by the Spirit, um, you go, where, is, where did my ideas begin and the Spirit's end, right? It's a sense of, and we, don't, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't claim that there's ongoing new revelation, but like what Don said, the Spirit is working in our hearts to bring things to mind and to... Um, lead us in the paths of righteousness and there's really no disentangling that was me <laughs> that was the holy spirit like um he's working in us and so that's just part of the the challenge of studying the holy spirit i don't know if this would be right to say it's a misconception but more of a hazard or a, a challenge a hurdle um so he may not be obvious in our experience of god's grace but he is essential to our experience of god's grace so any yeah christina and I was a little bit distracted for a few seconds here, so I may have missed you already talking about this. But it's subtle, but it's also the fruit of the Spirit. We're supposed to be looking for that not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And yeah. Love, joy, peace, as, as Christy was mentioning, the, you know, are exhibited. But I think that, like, you know, one of the things that I'm wrestling with is when, when you don't see that fruit, but you see, like, you know, when somebody has in some ways, divorce the Holy Spirit from the Word of God or whatever yeah. else it is, where they're, they know the Word of God, they're preaching the Word of God, they're teaching yeah. that or whatever, but the, the fruit seems to be lacking. Where is it, mm-hmm. like, our obligation to notice the subtle yeah. of the Holy Spirit at work in yeah. those scenarios? Yeah, well, and, and yeah, you're getting into good stuff about the church. Um, we're to be washing each other's feet, bearing each other's burdens. There's a sort of a mutual accountability about the fruit that we're producing, Um I've heard someone call the church the fruit inspection cooperative. And that could be that could be taken in a really critical way where we're all just kind of like, you're not bearing enough fruit. But hopefully in a, in a, in a um, constructive and encouraging way of saying either, hey, brother or sister, I see this issue and, and trying to gently correct and see the spirit working through that. Or to positively encourage and say, you might feel down on your, you know, you might feel... Uh, a, a heavy conscience over your sin and you might be doubting your salvation. I'm seeing good stuff. I'm seeing faithfulness. I'm seeing fruit of the Spirit. So be encouraged, brother or sister. But yeah, I'm there. Um, maybe kind of to your point, there's, there are certain things that don't necessarily evidence the Spirit. Knowledge doesn't necessarily evidence the Spirit. Um, communicative skill, certain abilities don't necessarily um, show the, the Holy Spirit in our midst. So we need to be well-versed in what does and doesn't um, evidence the spirit at work and not be, um, and churches, you know, I mean, we're hearing a lot about abusive church leaders and, you know, there's a lot of more attention going to some of those cases. And and one of the things you see is that um, capabilities and skills and um, personality traits can be elevated above the fruit of the spirit. And whenever churches do that, it's, it's going to, it's going to end in trouble. It often ends in, um, abusive leadership and things like that so yeah we need to have our eye on the prize with what the spirit is and is not and the spirit does give skill like like ability to communicate and knowledge and things like that but um it, he it's a package deal right so so there can be um yeah it, it will help us discern what what to look for and yeah it's good but we need to study the holy spirit yeah paul one of the things that i seen in my own life is that when you're reading a difficult passage in scripture, let's say Romans, 
and you gain and, and you can simply by reading it and you gotta read it slow, maybe I can only do a chapter a day maybe or chapter at a time. Mm -hmm. Because you have to read it slow, but the Spirit, when you can gain that, under, when you can start to understand what is being said by Paul, uh -huh. because a natural man wouldn't have a clue when he read, if he read right. Romans, what. So I think in, in a great work of the Spirit, or one of the greatest work, is he gives you understanding of the actual word yeah. and what Paul is trying to say. The other thing, Pastor, is that look at the transformation from Peter, Acts, early part of Acts, from what he was when he was denying Christ. Uh -huh. That is an example of, yeah. I mean, that that example of the great power of the Holy Spirit, yeah, and yeah. that's something that we can have, yeah. not thinking that Peter was some is up here, yeah. but that's something the power can do in our own lives. Yeah, two good points. Part of, we're going to look at the Spirit and Revelation, and, and not only the inspiring of Scripture, but the ongoing work to illuminate it in our souls. The natural man can understand grammar and history. They can understand things about Scripture, but to see the glory of Christ in the Scriptures as they're revealed is... Uh, that's what Josh read earlier, that the Spirit has given these things to us. And yeah, um, um, sorry, what was the second point you made about Peter? Yeah, yeah, that's a great example, biographical example of the Spirit. Uh, look at the Peter and all the apostles after, before and after Pentecost. It's, it's quite illuminating. Um, with that said, let's just talk about where the rest of the course is going. Um, my goal and prayer for this series is to lay a theological foundation for us in our understanding of the, the Holy Spirit, His person, His work our great need of him and the privilege it is to know him. Um, and we've already gone over this. We need clarity to avoid errors in our day, uh, some of which are obvious to us, some of which you already know about, and some of which you may not know about yet, some of which may be more subtle and hard to detect. I hope we can tease some of that out. Um, and uh, because of the pendulum swings we've seen over the last 100 years, uh, I think there's a lot of value in reaching back into church history. One really large-scale grid for understanding the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is found in the language of a creed from 381, the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. And is that a mouthful or what? You may have heard of the Nicene Creed, which was in 325, um, which was a, a statement that church leaders came together to formulate about um, God, the triune God, especially focusing on the Son, uh, to, to clarify over against some errors. But over the next couple of generations, there's a lot of dispute over matters, primarily the deity of the Son, but then also the deity of the Holy Spirit. And, and a couple generations later, they came back together in 381 in Constantinople. And they, they gave, it's kind of the Nicene Creed 2.0. And they uh, clarified a few things, including the, um, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So this is the, there's more that the creed says about the Holy Spirit. But they say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. That's the first statement about the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, that's, that's where we get the name of our course from. You see it's called the Lord and Life Giver. These are both statements directly out of Scripture. I hope we'll see uh, in a little bit how those both are, are directly um, derived from Scripture. And I think that's a really helpful high-view over, overview grid of the Spirit um, in His work. He's the Lord and the Life Giver. So here's how the series will unfold. Because the Holy Spirit is the Lord, we're going to talk next week about um, his personhood, his deity, his divine nature, and how um, his eternal relations with the Father and the Son, the other divine persons. And then we'll look at how the Trinity works and the Spirit's specific place in those works. Um, we're going to look at that next week, Lord willing. Then the week after, the, week three, we'll look at the Holy Spirit as the life giver, especially in the realm of the, created, uh, the, the, the natural created realm. You may have never thought about the Holy Spirit's role with regard to creation or providence, but he actually is very involved in both of those things. So we're going to see uh, the Spirit's role in creation and providence. Then our fourth lesson, we will look again at an implication of his lordship, which is his involvement in God's revelation, his spirit and, and God revealing himself. One of God's works is to speak. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in that inspiration and then in, in bringing the scripture home to us in illumination? And the fifth lesson, by the way, these are all listed. You may have noticed in the last page of your handout, these are all just listed, the whole, the whole course. Fifth lesson, well, really this is at the crossroads of his lordship and his life giving, which is indwelling. The Holy Spirit as the agent of God's indwelling presence. And we will look at really the story of God's indwelling presence with regard to the Spirit, starting the Old Testament, moving into the incarnation of Christ, and then looking at the church after Pentecost and the Holy Spirit's indwelling with us. And then in the sixth and seventh lessons, we'll look more at the spirit as the life giver in the spiritual realm. 
So not just the life giver in terms of the natural world of creation and providence, but the spirit is the life giver in the new creation, uh, the redeeming work of Christ. So uh, we'll look in week six, we'll look at his role in conversion, how he brings us from death to life, how he brings us to faith in Christ. And then we will look in the next week at how he continues to give life in the Christian's ongoing experience and sanctification. Then eighth, we'll consider his lordly and life-giving role in the church, uh, how he forms the church and how he breathes life into our worship and our activities together. And we'll also there look at the Spirit's role in the future. What is the Spirit's role in the future of the church as we look to the, the last things? And then ninth, we'll get to the, the, the uh, issue that kind of narrower within that issue of the spirit in the church, we have the narrower issue of spiritual gifts. How does the spirit give gifts to Christ's people among the body? We'll look at um, how the spirit distributes and empowers gifts. And then, of course, that's where we'll deal with this matter of um, miraculous and non-miraculous gifts. And then in the end, we'll wrap it up and kind of make some big scale observations about this doctrine and how it uh, affects our lives. So that's where we're going. I'm excited and prayerful that it'll, it'll be a, a fruitful time for us as a church. Um, appreciated everyone's input. Uh, does anyone have any questions or comments about anything we've covered or we might cover uh, in the future? Yeah, Zach. Um, one thing I didn't notice in what we looked at, and maybe it fits in somewhere, um, and I just don't. I, it's, it's something I don't totally understand. Uh-huh. But in, in Luke, um, at the beginning of Luke, yeah. it talks about the Holy Spirit's involvement in like the, the actual conception of yeah, Jesus. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something we're going to talk about. Then yeah. Talk I think that will probably come up. So the, the, the spirit as the one who prepared the body of Jesus in Mary. Yeah. I think that's probably going to come up in the incarnation discussion under indwelling. Yeah. That's a good point. I, I, I hope we'll at least touch on that. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Any others? All right. Well, and if you have any more extended things you want to talk about, I'm, Available and glad to interact, but let's close in prayer. Our God, we praise you that in Christ you've given us every reason to hope, that you have um, cleansed us from sin and you've welcomed us into your family. And as, as Paul writes, the, uh, the hope that your spirit gives um, is, is such a powerful uh, guard for our souls. We pray that we would... Um, as we study this area of doctrine and as we study this person that we know, the Holy Spirit that you've given to us, we pray that we would really grow in our understanding and affection for you, the triune God, and the work you've done in Christ to bring us near to yourself and the glories of heaven to come as we're even just now tasting the, the foretaste of those uh, coming glories. We uh, pray that you'd grant us um, fruitful study, that it would impact our lives and our worship of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.